This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode number 13. We're going to be looking at the Christ hymn in Philippians chapter 2. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is a podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith. I am your host. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 reads as, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of men, And while having the appearance of humanity, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Of God the Father. That's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. So today on the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, we are asking, how are we to make sense of this Christ hymn? This is a very confusing hymn. It's very complicated. It's complex. And it's been argued in regard to its meaning for nearly 2,000 years. And so today we're going to take a stab at its meaning. And hopefully we're able to break apart some of the complexity so that readers can make sense of it and, in my opinion, apply it to their lives. So we're going to look at a couple of things. We're going to start off by asking the question, what does it mean that Jesus was existing in the form of God and that he ultimately took upon the form of a servant? We see these alternating themes in Philippians 2, so that Jesus was existing in the form of God in chapter 2 and verse 6 but he took upon the form of a servant in 2 verse 7. So starting off, what is this passage about? Well, Philippians 2 and verse 5 says that we are to have this attitude among ourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And I'm very interested in this Christ Jesus, that is the Messiah Jesus, and that is Jesus in his capacity as a human being. So what we're looking at here in this hymn is about the life of Jesus as the Messiah. This is not about some sort of pre-existent Jesus or some pre-human Jesus. No, in fact, Philippians 2.5 says this is the attitude that Jesus exhibited as Christ Jesus. Jesus is his human name and Christ is his title as Israel's Messiah, as the King of the Kingdom of God. So, Let's talk about this phrase, form, that's used there in form of God in 2 verse 6 and form of servant in 2 and verse 7. It comes from the Greek word morphe, where we often use uh, the English word morph, meaning uh, to change. But morphe here is actually a noun, and we're trying to figure out what does this word mean. How else is it used in the Bible is something that we might ask. Well, an equivalent verb, morpho appears in Paul's writings. 
in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. And this reference is very helpful in us understanding what does it mean that Jesus was in the form of God and he took upon himself the form of a servant. So in Galatians 4.19 it reads, My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed, there's our word, formed among you. So Paul there is hoping that Christ would be formed among the community of the Galatians. And so what it seems there is that the attitude of Christ and the example of Christ would take its form among the community of Galatians. So it's interesting there that the verb morpho, which means formed, used in Galatians 4.19, involves having the attitude of Christ being exhibited within Christians. And that's a very helpful example. We can also see another noun, morphosis, appearing in 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5, it says this, holding to a form, which is the word morphosine, of godliness, although these people have denied its power and you are to avoid such men as these. 2 Timothy 3 in verse 5 talks about persons whom the readers should avoid. And it says that these people are holding on to this form or this appearance or this attitude of godliness. But they've actually denied its power and they are to be avoided. So there we can see that this morphosine noun involves an attitude of godliness. But these human beings have denied the power and they're to be avoided. So in all these occurrences that we see within Pauline literature, the word morphe, or its corresponding verb and the other corresponding noun, morpho and morphosine, involves an attitude that people can emulate in their lives, whether a good attitude, Christ being formed among the Galatians, or a bad attitude, people taking a false appearance of godliness. But it's an attitude which can be emulated. And so that makes sense. We can actually see in Philippians 2 and verse 6 that Christ had this form of God, this attitude of God. He was functioning and living with the attitude of God. And as the Messiah, that makes sense. The Messiah is the one that God has invested himself in so that this human ruler can rule over God's kingdom. But this human Messiah, Jesus, took upon the form of a servant. And so the, the alternating meaning would be that he took upon the attitude of this servant. That's what we see in Philippians 2 and verse 7. And so we'll come back and we'll talk about what this actual servant means. Let's take some time now to look at what does it mean that he took upon the attitude of a servant or the form of a servant. We see actually here deliberate echoes in the Philippians hymn to the suffering servant passage of Isaiah chapter 52 and chapter 53. It's a passage in Isaiah at the end of Isaiah 52 going all the way to the end of Isaiah 53 where there is this servant who is suffering and Paul here in Philippians 2 seems to be drawing upon this Isaianic suffering servant passage in its description of Jesus in the life of Jesus. So look at a couple of passages within Isaiah 52 and 53, that Paul seems to be drawing upon in his description of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 12 talks about the one who poured himself out unto death. Well, Paul says in Philippians 2 and verse 8 that Jesus humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. And to me, that seems to be a very obvious allusion. 
Also, we see in Isaiah 52 and verse 13, it says that, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. And we see in Philippians 2 that at the resurrection of Jesus, that God highly exalted him in Philippians 2 and verse 9. So it seems very likely to me that Paul is drawing upon the suffering servant passage in Isaiah 52 through 53 to describe the example of Jesus as someone who took upon the attitude of a servant and that this aspect of humility in the life of Jesus is something that readers should be able to comprehend, follow, and emulate. Another issue involves this complicated word in Greek, arpagmos, in chapter 2 and verse 6 of Philippians, and its relation to the phrase equality with God. This word arpagmos is ambiguous in the Greek, and it could mean two possible things, and these two possible definitions are exhibited in the modern translations. So we can actually see that, on one hand, it could mean that someone has equality with God, but they don't use it for their own advantage. And we can see this in translations like the New Revised Standard Version and the Holman Christian Standard Bible, where it says that Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited or something to be used for his own advantage. Okay? It could also mean something that someone does not have, but they try to unlawfully take or they try to grasp at. We can see this in the NIV and the New American Standard Version, where it says that he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. So, to shorten it, the two options are something that someone has, but they don't use for their own advantage, or something that someone does not have, but they reach out and they try to grasp at. So, how are we to make sense of this? And which of those two options is it likely that Paul is trying to portray here in Philippians chapter 2? Well, the first option, being something that someone does possess but does not use for their own advantage, seems to be the obvious meaning based on the other examples that Paul has given within the epistle to the Philippians. So look at these examples here and notice how these particular persons are taking what they have and not using it for their own advantage, but instead they are emptying themselves in humility within the Christian life. So in Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30, we see this guy whose name is Epaphroditus. Look what Paul says about him. Verse 25, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister in my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death. Notice, by the way, that reference there to the point of death, just as Jesus poured himself out in humility to the point of death. Picking back up. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow, Verse 28, therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him, then, in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ. Again, that reference there to coming close to the point of death, just as Jesus did in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8. 
But Epaphroditus was risking his life, in verse 30, to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So there Paul talks about Epaphroditus who gave up his own life and risked his own life to the point of death to come and to serve the Philippian believers. We can also look at Paul talking about how he had Jewish privileges, but he gave them up instead of boasting in them. Look at Paul's own description in Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 10, where he says, We are the circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else had a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through Christ's faithfulness, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. There we see Paul talking openly about his Jewish privileges, and he had many of them, but he counted them all as loss to be conformed to the image of Christ with the hope of, of being conformed to his death, looking forward to the power of his resurrection, exactly as Jesus is described in Philippians chapter 2. And we can also see that later, Paul hopes that the Philippian audience, the original readers of the letter to the Philippians, are to give up their Roman privileges and follow in Paul's example. Look at these passages. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 15, Paul says, Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude using the exact same Greek phrase that Paul said in Philippians 2 and verse 5, where we are to have this attitude among ourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Look also in Philippians 3.17. Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example, and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Summoning there the Philippians to follow Paul's example. He also says in Philippians 4 and verse 9, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things, summoning them to obviously emulate and practice Paul's example. And lastly, in 4 verse 14, Paul says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction, where he rightly encourages them for sharing in his Christian life. So, back to Philippians 2, we see that instead of Jesus taking advantage of his position as the Messiah, as the Christ. He emptied himself, taking upon the attitude of Isaiah's suffering servant. And we can see this within the Christian Gospels. Now, when Paul was writing the letter to the Philippians, the Christian Gospels were not yet written, but the teachings of Christ and the life of Christ were certainly circulating orally, and Paul was well aware of these examples. But Let's just look a little bit to the Christian Gospels and look at some places toward Jesus as the Messiah during his ministry 
could have taken advantage of his position, but he chose not to. He actually emptied himself of his rights and privileges. We have this example in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, which is called the temptation of Jesus, where the devil tempts Jesus to turn stones into bread, to acquire all the kingdoms of the world, or to do a flashy stunt of pride jumping off of the temple. Jesus did not give in to these temptations, even though he could have as the Messiah. And actually those temptations all said, if you are the Son of God, which is if you are the Messiah. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, Jesus said that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So there Jesus gives up his ability to be served, and he is the Messiah. He is the King of the kingdom of God. He has every right to be served, but instead he gave them up so that he can serve other people and to give up his life, give up his soul as a ransom for many, exactly as Philippians 2 states. Jesus says in Matthew 26, verse 53, do you not think that I can appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus here had the right as the Messiah to call upon 12 legions of angels to fight on his side, but he gave up this right and chose instead to suffer the crucifixion. Jesus is asked in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds in verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And that was a temptation. Jesus could have accepted the title of being good, but he here acknowledges that no one is good except God alone. And in John 6, 15, it says, Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. So Jesus, instead of taking advantage of his role as the messianic king. And these people are coming to make himself king. He withdrew to the mountains by himself. So we can see there's plenty of examples in the ministry of Jesus where Jesus functioned as the Messiah and did not take advantage or exploit those privileges, but he actually gave them up in humility to serve God and to be obedient to God's plan for his life. And that's exactly what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. And that's why I think that the translation that we see in the New Revised Standard Version and the Holman Christian Standard Version of Jesus not regarding equality with God as something to be exploited or taken advantage of is actually the correct translation. Now, we have these three different participles regarding how Jesus functioned. It says that in verses 7 and 8 that he took upon the attitude of the servant. We've already talked about that. That means Jesus voluntarily acted out the vocation of the suffering servant from Isaiah 52 through 53. It says also in Philippians 2, 7, that he became in the likeness of humans. And we know that humans are corruptible. They're weak and they're in need of redemption. And Jesus, as the perfect Messiah, had no reason to die. He was not sinful, but he humbled himself and lowered himself to uh, corruptible humanity and was willing to die on their behalf. And verse 8 has another synonymous participle talking about Jesus being found in the appearance as human or the appearance of humanity. And there's a Greek word here, which is the word schema, where we actually get the English word schematic. And it's a design. But this word was uh, used by Josephus, which is a contemporary in the life of Paul. 
And Josephus, in talking about a king, talked about a king who humbled himself before his subjects by taking off his royal garments, putting on sackcloth, and assuming the attitude of humility. That's in Josephus Antiquities, book 10, verse 11. And so we can see that this word schemati, which is used in Philippians 2.8 about the appearance of a man, is actually more of the attitude of humility. Uh, that's what Jesus is doing here. So Jesus is functioning by taking on a life of humility by being like the rest of humanity that is in need of redemption. And by doing this, he, verse 8, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But that is not the end of the story because Philippians 2.9 says that God highly exalted him because of his obedience and death. And at the resurrection of Jesus, God exalts him and gives him the authoritative name. That's what it says in Philippians 2.9. God bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. And in verse 10, Paul cites a passage from Isaiah 45 and verse 23, which says in its fullness, God speaking, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. But what Paul here is doing is saying that every knee will bow to Jesus because God has given his authoritative name to Jesus and God has empowered Jesus as the resurrected Lord by giving Jesus his power and name and authority. Therefore, every knee which originally was going to bow solely to God is now going to bow to Jesus because Jesus has demonstrated himself as the true Messiah. And so Paul there is drawing on Isaiah 45, but investing his name authoritatively in Jesus through the principle of agency. And lastly, we see in Philippians 2.10 that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And to me, this is a very clear allusion to Adam, the prototypical human being of Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And Adam was told in Genesis 1.28 to subdue creation and to rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over a living thing that moves on the earth. There you have the threefold structure of that which is under the earth, the sea, that which is above the earth, the birds of the sky, and that which is on the earth, every living thing. And here Jesus is rightfully taking over rule over those three things. Every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on the earth, and under the earth. So to me, it seems very clear that Paul is regarding Jesus as retaking the rulership that originally was given to Adam. Adam lost it due to his disobedience, but Jesus regained it due through his obedience. And finally, we see that the confession in Philippians 2.11, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, is an important corollary that we need to look at within the culture of the Roman world. By confessing that Jesus Christ was Lord, Paul was deliberately challenging the lordship of Caesar, and especially in a Roman colony like Philippi. The current emperor Nero had many inscriptions claiming that he possessed authority and lordship over the entire world. In fact, we have in our possession coins that were minted which said Caesar Nero Caesar was the lord of the world. 
but Philippians 3.20 indicates strongly that Jesus is the real Lord and the real Savior, using both of these titles, which were originally Caesar titles. Philippians 3.20 says that our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 21 says that he will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. So we see there that Jesus is coming back and he's going to raise the Philippians from the dead because Jesus is the true Lord and the true Savior and thereby Caesar is not the true Lord and not the true Savior and not the one that can rescue the Philippians from any dire straits or affliction. So, in conclusion, we have observed that Philippians 2 is a hymn about Christ that draws upon the humility exhibited during his life precisely as a human being. It is about Jesus as the Christ, and that is the life of Jesus that we see within the Christian Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. It is not about a pre-existent figure who decided to become a human being. Rather, it is about a human being functioning as God's Messiah, but choosing instead to give up his privileges and to live a life of obedience. Number two, Philippians 2 compares Christ with Adam. The original human being who, in his attempt to be like God, disobeyed and subsequently lost his position as ruler over the created order. On the other hand, Philippians 2 argues that Christ did not take advantage of his position, but instead voluntarily obeyed God with a life of humility while giving up his messianic privileges. Christ's death, unlike Adam's, was rewarded with a vindicated resurrection to the exalted status of ruler over the created order, a position of rulership that Adam lost, but was now secured by the humble and obedient human being, Jesus. Number three, we observe that Paul also regards Jesus as having taken the vocation of Isaiah's suffering servant from Isaiah chapter 52 through 53. This was a servant who would pour himself out unto death, but would also be highly exalted by God. Number four, we saw that the Philippians hymn, by calling Jesus the true Lord and summoning every knee unto his allegiance, was a deliberate swipe at the imperial theology prevalent at the time that argued that Caesar was Lord and that everyone should bow the knee unto him. Number five, we observe that the rest of the letter to the Philippians attempts to use the model of giving up one's privileges in humility, a behavior also observed in Paul and Epaphroditus, to convince the Philippian readers to follow this ethical example. In other words, Paul expected the example set forth by Christ in Philippians 2 to be something that the readers could emulate and follow, and the popular readings that suggest that the Philippians to him is really about God becoming a man is not a behavior that any human being can physically perform. And lastly, number six, we observe that if Jesus' life of humble obedience led him to being raised from the dead, and if Paul believed that he gave up his privileges in imitation of Christ, that he too would be raised from the dead, then the readers of Philippians should likewise have this attitude among themselves in hopes of attaining to the resurrection of the dead when Christ returns. If you've been blessed by the Biblical Unitarian Podcast and you would like to contribute to keeping it on the air and on the internet, please be sure to check out this episode's description 
for a PayPal link. Thank you so much for listening to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Again, my name is Dustin Smith, and until next time, take care.